Hey, welcome to the Scrum, GBH's politics podcast. I'm Adam Riley. In this episode, you're going to hear a conversation I had with my GBH News colleague, Mike Dean and Shira Schoenberg of Commonwealth. As you probably know, both Shira and Mike are indispensable sources of wisdom for what's going on inside the Massachusetts State House. I wanted to talk to them about Ron Mariano, the relatively new Speaker of the House of Representatives. Specifically, three months into Mariano's tenure, I wanted to get a sense of how his M.O. differs from that of his predecessor, Bob DeLeo, in terms of how the House does its business and how it relates to the Senate and Governor Charlie Baker. In a pretty short conversation, I learned a lot. Hopefully, you will too. Let me start by asking the two of you what the big changes have been since Ron Mariano became Speaker of the House. The sense that I've had from the outside, and I could be wrong, is that he's maybe a little more open than Bob DeLeo was to being publicly adversarial when it comes to Governor Baker. But I may be making too much of a tweet or two that I saw from the new speaker. So what have the big changes been? Yeah, uh, I'm just you know being in there on the fourth floor of the state house and kind of in proximity to Mariano. I can tell you we haven't really seen a lot of him, and um, that's mostly because of the pandemic. You know, we don't have access to anybody as much as we do under normal circumstances. But you're right; it is kind of a tweet or two. The, it, it, it's rhetoric right now. We haven't really seen um, you know how Mariano and the House are going to act as a, a check to Baker as they intend to, with one very important exception, which was the very rapid rapid override of that climate control bill um, that we saw the House and Senate work together and insist on the language that they had passed in the prior session when they ran out of time before they could override it and they had to do it all over again. Um, they did make a few concessions to Baker uh, kind of on legal levels to get him to sign the bill, and he did, you know, supposedly happily. So they got that done. But that was really the biggest push this year so far of, of the House and the Senate saying, like, no, we, we, we are insisting on what we want. This is what we're going to do. And I would actually question that premise that he's more adversarial against Baker, because I think while Speaker Mariano has been critical of Baker uh, with things like, for example, his vaccine rollout and how he dealt with teachers um, in the vaccine rollout, um, I do think that the Speaker did to some extent negotiate with the governor on the climate change bill. And I would argue that the biggest change is really that he wants the legislature to take a stronger oversight role of the executive branch. I mean, I'm thinking particularly of the issue of federal stimulus money. If you look at what happened with the CARES Act, the earlier stimulus bill when Speaker DeLeo was still there, the legislature really largely left it up to Governor Baker how he was going to spend that money. You know, they did some spending bills, some oversight, a little late in the game. But here, with Massachusetts getting billions of dollars from this new American Rescue Plan, I think Speaker Mariano has really signaled that the House is going to take a very large oversight role in how that money is being spent. I mean, he's already held a hearing, summoned a White House official to speak at this hearing. So I think you're going to see a lot more legislative oversight of the governor. Yeah, I, I just ring in on that and say you're absolutely right. And we're definitely seeing that on that new pandemic uh, oversight Committee as well. That's one thing that um, I know uh, 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 some of our former colleagues have always been wondering about oversight, the role of the legislature there. When scandals come up, we think back at, you know, the on, the, we'll call it the ongoing scandal of police overtime, still an area where the legislature has not weighed in at all. But it does look like Mariano is taking certain things to heart and 
um, putting the legislature in the spotlight. He knows this generates an awful lot of press. So does the governor. He's brought the governor in front of this COVID committee twice now. Uh, that's fairly unprecedented. And the level of scrutiny that lawmakers gave Baker face to face was something that I had never seen before. Um, whether or not that uh, turns into legislation, if it turns into uh, more veto overrides, if it turns into something stronger in the long run, I guess remains to be seen. But, you know, Mariano is, I wouldn't say um, surpassing Karen Spilka's ability to do this, but matching where the Senate already was with their resistance to the governor. And so now we kind of have um, the two chambers on the same page. Had people like you two who know the State House expected the changes that you guys just described, or is Mariano parting ways in the ways that you've talked about with DeLeo something that has come as a surprise? I mean, I think that one thing that was anticipated, which we've seen, is that in a lot of ways, Speaker Mariano is continuing a lot of the same style that we saw from Speaker DeLeo in terms of the way he runs the House. I mean, I'm thinking uh, Speaker DeLeo was kind of criticized for being pretty top-down, doing a lot of deal-making behind the scenes, not having a lot of open legislative debate. Um, and I think what we've seen with Speaker Mariano is something that's in a lot of ways similar. You know, he's very focused on the behind-the-scenes deal-making. You know, there a few bills have passed without even a public hearing, which has gotten some attention. And to be fair, there were a lot of bills, like the climate change bill, that were deeply considered last year. Um, but I do think he's, he's very much like DeLeo in not encouraging a lot more public debate from his members. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with everything Shira said as far as that. I think when a new speaker comes on, he has to make a point to differentiate himself uh, from the person he's succeeding. And in this case, you know, DeLeo had a very stalwart style for 12 years that um, some would say was fairly closed fisted, uh, but it worked internally. You know, the internal machinations were acceptable to the membership. That's why they elected him over and over and over again. Uh, with Mariano, you see a speaker who has to say, I'm going to be different, has to make deals, has to give the membership what they want, what they're asking for, what they want in a speaker. Um, that's kind of kept under wraps. We don't exactly know what that is. Uh, but I would imagine that with a, a growing, I don't want to call it a progressive power, but as you know, moderate Democrats become a little bit more progressive in and of themselves, uh, they are probably looking to check Baker more. They are probably looking to enhance the powers of the House a little bit more and the powers of the members themselves. They see the Senate kind of going down that path uh, with the last two Senate presidents, with or three Senate presidents, I should say, where they are empowered and emboldened to do things on their own, a little more autonomous. I think we're seeing that in the chairman right now. Mariano's chairman teams are, are very strong. They are out front. They are writing press releases. They are getting in front of the press. They are really messaging in the way that we're used to coming out of the speaker's office. We're seeing that come out of the chairman's offices a little bit more than usual. So I think that his team is ready because his team is brand new. He just got all that, all those commitments. He just got all that loyalty on his side. And so it really is kind of a group operation right now. Although I do think that on a similar note, when you looked at the debate over the House and Senate rules and how they would conduct themselves for this session, there was actually a lot of pressure on Speaker Mariano from some more progressives to really open up the rules in certain ways. I'm thinking things like making all testimony given to committees public on the legislative website 
making all committee votes um, easily accessible on the legislative website. And the Senate was the Senate was open to these rules. I think some of those things were actually included in joint rules passed by the Senate. But the House took its traditional position, similar to what it's taken under Speaker DeLeo, that the House was going to allow some small rule changes, but really not those type of real sweeping reforms to bring more transparency into the House that some progressives have wanted. Um, so I think Mike is right that the chairman may have more authority, that I think the members are going to be pushing for more independence, but I'm not convinced that they're really going to get everything that they're asking for under Speaker Mariano. As you guys talk me through this, I'm reminded, as I am any time I talk with people who know the building well, like the two of you, that there are a couple different ways of evaluating how anyone in a leadership position performs their job. There's the question of political ideology in terms of where they come down on the the big matters before the House and Senate. What are they going to do on things like, uh, you know, voting rights, for example, making voting more accessible? Are they going to take a more progressive or a more moderate position on changes like that? And then there's the question of how the chamber in question itself runs and how people operate in relation to those in positions of authority, how much is shared with the public, how much isn't. There's sort of the, the ideological and the operational questions, and they run on parallel tracks. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I'd think so. Um, and this is something that comes across every every session, really. We have this debate over what is transparent and what is not. Uh, a lot of advocates want it to be more open. And I can tell you, just based on uh, conversations, vast number of Democrats do not want it to be any more open. They like the process that they have. They like and they think it works. Uh, and I, I would say, you know, the, the writing's on the wall when you look at approval ratings for the legislature as a whole. Massachusetts, as much as we denigrate it and we, you know, complain about the lack of transparency and uh, the lack of getting major bills done and everything that comes along with, you know, covering the legislature, the Massachusetts legislature has some of the best polling numbers of any state legislature in the country. People like their you know, moderate Democratic supermajority in the state. They like how it operates and they're happy to see it continue. Uh, it's not just that they like their rep or their senator, you know, somebody they know who coached the their kids' little league team, who, you know, volunteers and they know them and they've known them for 30 years. That's kind of the typical uh, you know, lawmaker relationship with their constituents. But um, they like the way it's working as a whole. And, you know, it's like a 65% approval rating, depending on which poll you look at. That's pretty high for legislators in general who are, you know, mostly reviled in the rest of the country. Yeah, hell of a lot better than Congress, right? Absolutely. You come here to Congress and these guys are, are walking on water. Yeah, and I think that Mike's right that kind of this moderate Democratic streak that we've seen from the legislature is continuing under Speaker Mariano. And when you're talking about legislative policies and priorities, one advantage that he really has is he's coming in at a time, obviously with the pandemic, where healthcare issues are going to be vital. And that's really his expertise. So I think in some ways, um, the speaker's just coming in with kind of the perfect background at this time, because as the legislature starts con considering a lot of these policy issues coming out of the pandemic, when you're talking about things like telehealth, stabilizing smaller hospitals, Speaker Mariano is gonna be very well poised from a policy perspective to lead the discussions on those issues. Um, and here you're not really talking about that same kind of progressive versus, you know, moderate divide. 
you're just talking about those, you know, important everyday policies that are not quite so ideological, but are complicated, complex topics and will need to get ironed out over this session. Shira's point made me think of um, Mariano's new green jobs initiative when he's pushing for wind power. Now, the last things that you're going to hear coming out of Ron Ron Mariano's mouth is the Green New Deal. He's not that kind of uh, Democrat. However, he is still pushing to enhance this new wind industry with union jobs and, you know, retrain people in the way that we hear Ed Markey and AOC talk about their national legislation. Uh, So, you know, he's very good right now at repackaging these types of progressive goals when it comes to what's good for Massachusetts, putting it in front of, as we saw last week, of the Chamber of Commerce, of all people, and trying to sell it there. But he is not using the progressive rhetoric uh, as far as like a big intersectional, you know, progressive movement, the way that it works on the national level. When all of a sudden, at least from my vantage point, again, outside the building, when all of a sudden we learned that Bob DeLeo was about to leave the speakership and that Ron Mariano was about to replace him. I think um, it was easy for those of us on the outside to say, wow, it's incredible that, that this is already decided. Why isn't there more of a push, for example, to uh, maybe come up with a speaker who isn't a white male? Why isn't there more of a progressive push to get someone like Mike Connolly, for example, into the job? I think I have since come to understand why we didn't see those things. But for people like me who might need a refresher or for people who still might not understand why there wasn't kind of an open fight for the speakership with people who represent all sorts of different categories, demographically and ideologically, making a bid for the job. Can you talk us through why that doesn't happen in a situation like the one we just went through? Uh, Yeah, it is kind of shocking when you look at the lack of competition, but uh, we have lack of competition in Democratic primaries all the time. So it's no real shock that, um, you know, the Democratic caucus in the House operates this way. Uh, It it is really steady as she goes. The pandemic definitely had an impact on um, getting the number two guy in there, you know. Let's just continue on as we're going. Uh, When you mention a few of those more progressive names, the progressives that get press are probably the least popular progressives within their own caucus. Uh, And, you know, I I think you mentioned Representative Connolly. I don't think he would disagree with me when he, you know, if I say that he had no shot in hell of becoming Speaker of the House. that is simply the way the moderate body operates. They wanted another moderate Democrat. They picked Ron Mariano, who has been the number two, as you said, for you know nearly DeLeo's entire time there. Um, when we see progressive op- progressives operating, it's behind closed doors. And if there was a big ideological debate over who the next speaker was going to be, the press and the voters are going to be the absolute last people to know about it. Uh, you know, whatever is going on internally might come out and leaks here and there, but it was pretty much a closed case from to begin with. Um, Somerset's Patricia Haddad, who was the uh, pro tempore uh, Speaker of the House under Bob DeLeo, uh, had something of a contention for the role. Uh, that is kind of the other person that was whipping votes throughout all of this, but it was never really that much of a competition. Mariano's had 12 years to implicitly gain the support he needed to be speaker. Uh, it was an emergency and he was the you know next closest choice. And he had been whipping votes literally for years. I mean, you talked to some lawmakers who said that you know they had 
in a way, pledged themselves to Mariano, you know, a couple years ago, even before anybody had any idea when Speaker DeLeo was actually going to step down. So it really just is the nature of the House that so much of this gets decided behind closed doors. Is that kind of vote whipping in advance of a leadership change that's going to happen sometime in the future? Is that now happening with people who want to replace Mariano when he leaves the speakership, jockeying for support in the Democratic uh, caucus? Or is it too early? I mean, I think we actually heard rumors at the time that Speaker Mariano was being selected that he wasn't going to be there for that long, um, that there was, you know, there were people who were interested in the position. You know, for example, one of the names that's always mentioned in any in any of these situations is the Speaker of the House Ways and Means Committee. Aaron Michaelitz has been rumored to be seeking that position. Um, but again, I think that's just because the person who has held that position is always rumored to be seeking the speakership. Um, so I certainly think there are rumors. I certainly haven't heard anything about actual vote whipping at this point. I mean, I think it's been you know, literally three months since Speaker Mariano came in. So people are really focused on this session, on getting through the pandemic and the recovery, rather than thinking about the next transition. But I wouldn't be surprised if we start hearing things, you know, maybe a year or two down the line. Yeah, I think Shira's totally right. I mean, Mariano is, I believe, 74 years old. Uh, he, he, when asked, he says he's certainly not going to do the job for 12 years the way DeLeo did, uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek there. But yeah, no one expects him to do more than a, a few terms. And by becoming speaker and putting a new leadership team in place, he's really elevated a few folks who weren't really in the conversation before or who were, you know, on the outskirts and put them on that, you know, A-list team. Um, and, you know, that's people like Claire Cronin from Easton, who he elevated from judiciary chair up to his uh, majority leader. Uh, and, you know, Kate Hogan uh, is now, um, I believe, the first LGBTQ uh, member of, of leadership and in, in like that high a position, uh, who's now president pro tem of the House. So, you know, he's elevated a lot lot of women, you know, the, the politics of his ascension kind of demanded that he put more women on his leadership team, uh, you know, diversify given what he could, you know, given the um, the nature of the House and the membership of the House to put together the most diverse team he could do. Um, and because a moderate like Mariano got the pick this time, there is a boiling desire for what maybe we should go in a more progressive direction next time. Every freshman class is more progressive than the last one. When Mariano leaves, the House is going to be more liberal than it is right now. Um, the next speaker is kind of made the hope for a lot of folks. Uh, Aaron Mikowitz is to the left of Mariano in a lot of positions. Uh, he's, you know, he's been the company man this whole time, but, you know, on paper, he is more of a progressive. Uh, you know, and every, all those names I mentioned are more progressive and could stand to be, you know, the next progressive speaker, which I think people have on their minds and have had on their minds uh, since Sal Macy left in 2009. What about this longstanding idea that the House and Senate are kind of at loggerheads um, they differ when it comes to ideology, maybe different when it comes to process, too. And th they don't get along particularly well. Does that still hold these days? I think it's always going to hold. That's always kind of the built in conflict that's uh, in the legislature is the chamber's priorities differ. I mean, that, that's the process. They're supposed to hammer it out. And, um, you know, the House is technically more powerful than the Senate in a lot of ways. And so the speaker definitely knows that. Um, however, what we're seeing from Mariano right now is uh, what I'd call an unprecedented level of 
um, you know, political ease with the, with the Senate and with uh, Karen Spilka across the hallway. They're putting out joint press releases and statements. They seem to be on the same page on a number of issues, responding to things in the news or, or what's on their plate, so to speak, and coordinating in a way that we haven't seen. Mariano actually said when he was in front of the, uh, the, 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 the chamber the other week that he and Spilka have talked about, you know, getting things done being more important than getting credit for their chamber. Uh, which was something we've seen from both chambers, the Senate saying, well, we passed it, but the House didn't take it up. And the House saying, well, we passed this, but the Senate never did anything. Uh, if it's true that those days are over and we have a, more of a unified legislative Democratic caucus, we could see you know, some big things. I mean, I agree with Mike that I think we have seen a lot more public agreement be- with Speaker Mariana and Senate President Spilka. You know, it's certainly very different than the old days of Speaker DeLeo, Senate President Rosenberg, where there were you know a lot of very public clashes between the House and the Senate. I would caution, though, that I think there are still bills caught up between the branches. I mean, I would, for example, point to a bill about transparency at DCF. Got rushed through the House very quickly. The House put a lot of work onto it last session. The Senate's taking it a lot more slowly, probably going to make some real changes. You know, I think you still have you have had multiple bills kind of still still caught between the branches. I think you still don't have agreement on the joint rules. You know, they just decided they were going to do this separate bill to create joint committees because they have not yet agreed on the rules, actual rules really governing those committees. Um, So I think behind the scenes, you certainly still have some back and forth and some negotiation which is how it's going to be with um, with the House and Senate. But I think you're right that publicly they seem to have a very good relationship, which could bode well for getting legislation passed. Let me close by asking you about that interview that Speaker Mariano gave to Sharman Sacchetti right as he took over, in which he, when he was asked about the pace of the state's uh, vaccination rollout, said something along the lines of, well, I, you know, I'll look at that, but I just got here. And for a lot of people, including me, outside of the building, that elicited a, what the hell is he talking about response? Here's a guy, healthcare is supposed to be one of his sweet spots. He's been in the building for a while. He didn't just get there. What does he mean? How did that particular moment play inside the state house? Not great, Adam. <laughs> it, really, it, it showed some inexperience. You know, it was definitely a, a green moment for Mariano. I, I don't think he would do it the same way twice uh, if he gave the opportunity. But you're right. It was, um, you know, kind of a disaster of his first major interview with Sharman Sacchetti there in Channel 5. That's a big deal for a new speaker. And it, it didn't go over well. I think a lot of people, you know, no one regretted their vote for Mariano over something like that. I think it shows the uh, the legislature's um, pace, honestly. He just got here. We're going to go through the process. I'm going to look at what's in front of me. My team's going to go through it, and then we're going to get to it. We're on the job. Don't worry about it. Whereas everyone else is, what are you going to do for me yesterday? And uh, that is something, a lesson that I think Mariano learned from that interview and the reaction to it. And, and uh, we're, we're seeing him kind of, you know, adjust to the role of being the number one guy for the first time. And I think it also just shows something about his personality, to be honest. I mean, he is someone, he is blunt, he's straight talking, and he's not used to, you know, playing this, that on-screen political role. 
You know, I think a savvier speaker at the beginning, someone like Delu might have said, oh yeah, we're working on it. You know, given the type of answer where you're not really saying anything, but you're implying you have control. Mariana just kind of told it like it was. I just got here. I haven't looked at this. I'll, I'll look into it. Um, and I think that that's in some way just a style that people around the building are used to at this point, but that didn't really play well once it, you know, got translated to the public like that. But tell me if I'm right. My understanding from your reporting and other people's is a, a style that may be one reason he has ended up where he is. It definitely might be. I mean, I think in some ways people think there's something refreshing about that. I mean, I do think the members have said to me and lobbyists have said to me that one kind of nice thing about Speaker Mariano is you know where you stand with him. He might be, you know, it might be a difficult conversation. He might not agree with you, but you are always going to know if he doesn't agree with you. And in some ways, you know, some advocates think there's a positive to that rather than just, you know, a speaker that equivocates and you don't really know where you stand. Yeah, I definitely say that, you know, Ron Mariano is uh, no one's bullshitter. Uh, that's definitely what got him the job. That is what I heard repeatedly from everyone when they were expressing their support and why he was their guy. They said that Mariano, exactly to Shira's point, is going to give you the, the straight talk. Uh, does that make a good introduction to the people of Massachusetts who have never heard of you before? No. Shira Schoenberg and Mike Dean, thank you for making time to talk. I learned a ton. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having us. And that is going to do it for another installment of The Scrum. Thanks to Shira Schoenberg and Mike Dean for weighing in and to you for taking the time to listen. Subscribe to The Scrum, rate us if you haven't, and talk back to us. I'm at Riley Adam on Twitter. Our producer, Zoe Matthews, is at Zoe S. Matthews with one T. And Peter Kadzis, who's off this week, is at Kadzis, K-A-D-Z-I-S. We'll talk to you again soon. The Scrum is a production of GBH News. <laughs>